morning, church. Good morning. My name is Kendrick. I'm one of the, the pastors here at Calvary Church. And um, this morning, we're going to continue to do our walk through the Gospel of John. And as we go deeper into John, we're going to start experiencing more and more teachings of Jesus. And these are not going to always be easy teachings, right? These are going to be hard sayings. And when I say that, I don't mean hard or difficult to understand. They're actually really simple and easy to understand, but they really challenge our faith. They challenge our obedience, right? And God's going to convict and confront us. And so we're going to find ourselves in agreement with Mark Twain, who was credited for once saying, it ain't those parts of the Bible that I can't understand that bother me. It's the parts that I do understand. And we're going to be talking about some of those difficult truths here coming up. Today we're going to look at two of those teachings. And I know that they're hard teachings. I know they're difficult teachings because the disciples say, Jesus, those were hard teachings. <laughs> right? Those are difficult. And so we're going to be looking at those today. Last week we left off in the middle of chapter 6. We're going to pick up in the middle of chapter 6. And Jesus is teaching in a synagogue. The day prior to this teaching he fed 5,000 more than 5,000 people with two fish and five loaves of bread. And during the night, he walked across the Sea of Galilee during a storm. And in this morning, the morning that he's in the synagogue teaching, the crowds from the day before, they find him and they start asking him questions. And Jesus begins to teach them about who he is and what he has come here to do. And when we interrupted Jesus last week, I don't recommend you do that, but there was some big teaching, so we split it over two weeks. When we interrupted Jesus' teaching last week, he had just shared with him that he was the Savior of the world that was coming to give life. And to use this, to teach this truth, he used bread as a metaphor. He referred to himself as the bread of life. And this was just a figure of speech that Jesus was using. This is metaphor of eating and drinking was common in Jesus' day and pointed to taking within someone's innermost being. When you ate something, it came into your inside. It changed you from the inside. You must take me into you. You must come into me. And then you will have real life is what Jesus was teaching. And as bread is necessary for physical life, Jesus is necessary for spiritual and eternal life. And this is what he meant when he said, I am the bread of life. And as we pick up in his teaching today, Jesus continues to use this metaphor of bread for his illustrations of these truths that he is going to teach. We need to understand as we read this, as we continue in this study that Jesus was talking about, there's no confusion to us or to the people in that synagogue that Jesus was not talking about actual bread. Right? It was just a metaphor that he was using. Those that were listening to him teach, they knew exactly what he was talking about. And where we pick up today, Jesus has just told them in verse 35, that I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. And then Jesus continues in verse 40, the last verse that we covered last week. But this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last days. 
I want you to notice what Jesus said in these last few sentences. He said, first, I am the bread of life. And he was talking about that I am the Savior, the one that came to give life. Right? And he also said, you do not believe. And it's important that we understand Jesus' context and what he's talking about when he says, you do not believe. This is more than just a simple agreement, like you saying, well, I guess so, I guess if there's no other option. It's not like saying, well, I saw it on Ripley's Believe It or Not last night, so I guess I believe it. This is not the same sense that Jesus meant when he said, you do not believe. Jesus meant that when he said, you do not believe, that you don't trust in, that you don't rely on, that you're not clinging to these truths that I am teaching you. Right, and this is a belief that Jesus is talking about that not only shapes your worldviews and actions, but it drives the way you think. It drives the things you do. The belief that Jesus is talking about is actually the foundation for your worldview, which everything is built on. So he said that I am the bread of life. He said you do not believe. And then he said my Father's will is for those who believe to have life. And basically what he's saying right there is I am the son of God, and I am doing his will. And notice as we move forward, no one questions the bread of life claim. Nobody was bothered that Jesus said he was bread. What really bothered these people was that this guy, right, this this guy maybe from down the trail from where they lived, is saying that he's the son of God and that he's acting on behalf of God. They knew exactly what he was saying, and that is what they are wrestling with, and that's where the doubt comes from, right? Those are hard teachings to hear the son of a carpenter say, I am the son of God. I am your savior. I came to bring you life. These are hard things and hard teachings for those contemporaries to hear, and today I want to look at how disciples respond to hard teachings, As a follower of Jesus, as someone who has read and tried to follow the commands of Jesus, we find those teachings to be hard. We find those to be difficult. Several teachings are still disputed today. Several things that Jesus talked about 2,000 years ago. Things like how to love your neighbor. The role of the Holy Spirit in a believer's life today. How to worship in truth and spirit. But as we'll learn today, Jesus is not talking about these things. Right? Simply put, Jesus is just talking about knowing and trusting him. About knowing and trusting Jesus. He's going to the, the very root, as simple as it can be. Do you know and do you trust Jesus? And you say, well, what's so hard about that? Why is that so hard? Because Jesus gives you two options. To believe him or not. Not to kind of believe him, not to, to be in the middle, to be all in on who Jesus is. And what Jesus did on the cross. You either believe it or you don't. And so we're talking about a hard teaching. That's something we have to look into our own lives. Do I believe it or do I not? It's all or nothing. So let's jump into this teaching as Jesus begins. We're going to begin reading verse 41. So the Jews, this is chapter 6, verse 41. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? And Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him. 
and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. And right away as we look into this, right off the bat we see that they are grumbling. And this term here, this grumble term is this distrust, this discontent. Right? They're already not believing what Jesus is talking about. This was one of the real difficulties for Jesus' contemporaries. As we just said, they said, hey, we know his mother. We know his father. When we look at Scripture, we talk about the Messiah coming in the clouds, that he is to suddenly appear. But this Jesus had quietly grown up amongst us. There is no way that this is the Son of God who is coming on a white stallion, followed by an army of angels ready to defeat Rome and establish their kingdom. They're not talking about God's kingdom. Right now they're talking about theirs. If you remember just a little bit earlier, the day before, they tried to take Jesus and make them their king. And even though they have these questions, Jesus doesn't back off on his claims. We'll see in this teaching, he actually doubles down on who he is, and he even talks about his unique relationship with the Father, the very thing that is ernsting them, the very thing that is bothering them. He talks about, I am from the Almighty God. And he insists on his unique relationship with God the Father. Right? He claimed a relationship and a connection with God the Father that no one else ever has and no one else ever can. And notice as we pick up again in verse 47 where I'm going to start reading, Jesus again stresses the need for them to believe. And remember what we talked about believing, that they have to fully rely on who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. But they just like us, have to believe who Jesus is and we have to believe in what Jesus has done by his grace and on his terms. We don't get to make up who Jesus is. We don't get to make up what he did and didn't do. We don't get to pick and choose when we follow Jesus and when we don't. But when we come to believing in Jesus, when we believe in Jesus as our Lord, we do so on his terms and by his grace. And let's get it to verse 47. And Jesus concludes his teaching that morning with two very hard words, two very difficult teachings. One, he again stresses his divine nature. And then the second thing he talks about is his divine mission, what God has sent him to do. So we're going to pick up in verse 47. And Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the man in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever, and the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat of the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, You have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I will live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. 
Not like the bread that the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. And as I said before, this teaching would be the hard teachings that the disciples refer to later. So let's just begin. The very first one, Jesus stakes his claim, his divine nature. Right, that he came down from heaven. It is not so much that Jesus claimed to be the bread of life. They get that. What really bothered him is that he said he came down from heaven. Right? People knew what he was talking about. Nobody sat there and discussed. Nobody grumbled saying, this guy thinks he's a loaf of bread. This guy thinks he is sourdough. That is not what they were bothered about. That is not what they thought he was talking about. They knew very, very well that Jesus was using the bread as a metaphor to stake claim to his divine nature. Right? It is that claim that he is the bread that came down from heaven that bothered these people. Six times in this single teaching, Jesus says he came down from heaven. Twice last week and four times this week. Go back and underline all those words. Go back and look where Jesus said, I am divine. I came from heaven. His claim to heavenly origin, his claim to divine nature is unmistakable. And that is Jesus speaking. And this is what they are grumbling about. And here's one of the times in scripture that Jesus is very, very clear about his divine nature. There are many people today who claim that Jesus never claimed to be divine, that he never claimed to be from God, much less that he never claimed to be God. Well, Scripture, the people that were in that synagogue that day listening to Jesus, the people that yelled to crucify Jesus because he was blaspheming, because he was claiming to be God, they would all disagree. Right? Jesus did say that. Jesus was very clear about it. And it was this morning that Jesus taught about his divine nature very directly. So that is the hard teaching number one, that Jesus is divine, that he has a divine nature. Hard saying number two is Jesus' divine mission. Jesus' divine mission, why he came, God's will for Jesus. And as we've already established, Jesus used bread as a metaphor Jesus used living bread as a metaphor. He used bread of God as a metaphor. He used bread from heaven as a metaphor. It should not surprise us that Jesus extends this bread metaphor into his actual sacrifice on the cross. He doesn't change things up. He keeps this flow of thought so people can follow with what he is teaching. It is probable that the Jewish leaders, the ones that were listening, they willfully misunderstood Jesus at this point. He had just explained in verse 51 that the bread was his body that would be given as a sacrifice for the life of the world. Yet they twisted his words to to imply this like bizarre cannibalism that Jesus is telling people they have to eat him. And I want you to look at this. Look at how Jesus responds to this crazy talk. And as we look at this, let it not only be a guide to you, but encouragement Right? Even Jesus had to deal with difficult people, and here he kind of helps us on how to respond. And Jesus responds to their willful misunderstanding by speaking even more boldly, right? by amplifying the point that he made in, in John 6.51, right? that his flesh was, is what is being laid down, his life. 
the prince of preachers, Charles Spurgeon, he said this of this passage. Our Savior was, however, led to make these remarks from the fact that the ignorant Jews, when he talked about eating his flesh and drinking his blood, really thought that he meant that they were to turn cannibals and eat him up. You may well smile at so ridiculous an idea. They knew what Jesus was talking about. Unfortunately, we run into these difficult people all the time. They take scripture, they take it out of context, they try to manipulate it. One, to make an excuse for them to do what they want to do. Maybe to hide their own insecurities. Right? And they try to shame you or make you look foolish. Be like Jesus. Right? When that happens, be like Jesus. Don't back down. Speak more boldly. Plainly explain the gospel. Plainly explain what you mean. As Jesus did here, he meant that the bread was his flesh and it was given for the life of the world. Right? The, the following year at Passover, Jesus would go to the cross and give his life as a sacrifice, a substitutionary atonement for guilty sinners, for all of those who believe. And his sacrifice would satisfy the wrath of the one holy and righteous God, his Father. Without question, the teachers of the law that are sitting in the synagogue as Jesus teaches, would be very, very familiar with the sacrificial system. They'd be very familiar with the sacrificial rites and the, the rituals. And they know exactly what Jesus is talking about. And most of the Jews, the Galileans, the simple peasants, they had probably participated in some of these religious sacrifices for many years. And as Jesus uses this illustration, the sacrifice rituals that they have been a part of or burned in their head bring them to this point. The eating of the flesh and the drinking of the blood was an illustration of the sacrificial idea of filleting the flesh. Right? This would be ripped from Jesus' body as he went to the cross. He'd be talking about the blood uh, that was pouring out as the blood that would flow from his body, his hands, and his head as he hung on the cross. And the crucified and risen Jesus must be believed, received, and internalized, right? When we talk about eating, that is what we are talking about, that we believe and we have received and we have internalized, right? This truth is the shaping agent of our hearts and of our minds, right? Metaphorically eating, right? Eating Christ's flesh and drinking his blood points to the central saving act of believing that is described in John three sixteen, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes... Right, this is not a simple belief. This is a belief we talk about clinging on to, relying on, building our life on, right? That we have believed and we have received and internalized who Jesus is and the work that Jesus has done. Right? And it's that person who believes in him that should not perish but have eternal life. Right, Jesus is, is teaching him essentially that their need is to believe in him as the one father who sent him as a sacrifice for the sin of the world. You need to believe God's will that I have been sent to be the sacrifice for the world. It is this belief, it is this dependency on Christ's death that opens the way to true eternal life. And it is how we enter into this way of faith is by believing, by eating the flesh and drinking the blood. Right? That represents a striking illustration 
about what it means to believe in Jesus. And that is exactly what Jesus is trying to do. Without this type of believing, there is no true spiritual life. There is no eternal life. As we listen to Jesus' words, they speak to the atoning death that Christ would die. And together with that fact, there's a challenge to enter into the closest and most intimate relationship we can with him. It is when we believe and receive and eternalize Jesus Christ and him crucified for us that we truly abide in Jesus, that we truly believe in Jesus, and that he abides in us. Jesus explained that receiving him as bread was not receiving him as a great moral teacher, was not receiving him as a a good example or even a prophet. It was not receiving him as a good or great man or some noble martyr. It was receiving him in light of who he is as the son of God and what he did on the cross. Such radical statements offend people today just as they did back then. And in part, that was Jesus' intent. Jesus wanted to be clear on what he expected of his followers. There's no halfway you believe or you don't. And in response to those who twisted his words and his meaning, he made the metaphors stronger, not weaker. He refused to back down from the truth. He claimed again, I am the bread of life. And the substance of that bread, what makes that the bread of life is his sacrifice on the cross. Right, the giving of his flesh, the giving of his blood for us. And it is what he gave at the cross that we must eat. And when I talk about eat, ironically, we're talking metaphorically. Right? We're using the same example that Jesus is talking about. We must eat, we must believe, we must receive, we must internalize those truths of who Jesus is and what Jesus did that we must trust unconditionally, we must rely on, we must cling to the truth of who Jesus is, the truth that Jesus is God, and the promise that the cross is enough. It is by his grace that we are saved. There is nothing else we have to do. That is a promise of scripture. We don't have to get right in our lives. We don't have to fix that. We don't have to to fix this. We don't have to repair or restore. We can't. We have to turn to Jesus. The cross is enough. And if you look in your hearts, that is a hard saying. That is a a difficult teaching. And you know how we know this? Because ever since humankind, we've been trying to fix it ourselves. We've tried to find ways to do it ourselves. And Jesus says, no, all you you have to do is believe in me. Right? Believe my grace is enough. And it sounds really, really simple. But if you've ever tried to do it for a week, you'll see how difficult that is. Right, we like to make up our own backup plans. We like to think, well, maybe just in case. And Jesus said, no, you just have to believe at me. And then I want to just look at really quick how the disciples responded to this teaching, to this passage. We'll start in verse 60. And when many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life, and the flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life, but there are some of you who do not believe. 
For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was that would betray him. And he said, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. And after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. And Jesus answered him, Did I not choose you, the twelve? And yet one of you is a devil. He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. Church, when the disciples heard Jesus' teaching, right, that he was the bread that was from heaven, of his divine nature, when they heard his teaching of his divine mission, that this Savior, this one that was going to come and save the world, was going to have to do it by being a sacrifice, they said, hey, Rabbi, those are hard teachings. They're not hard to understand. They're hard to accept. And that's what they were telling Jesus. We know what you're saying, but that's hard for us to accept. And no doubt that these disciples, and when he says disciples, he's, he's talking about in general, those ones that were following Jesus that had come from the day before that had now followed him, hundreds, maybe thousands of them. And they found Jesus' words somewhat mysterious, but it was the parts that they did understand that was really disturbing to them. It was the parts that they did understand that made them say, I don't know if I want to keep following this guy. And if we start to think of those things, we remember Mark Twain, right? It ain't those parts of the Bible I can't understand that bother me. It's the parts that I do understand. And I think if we're honest with ourselves, we can relate to that. Right? We can relate to that. Sometimes when it says, love your enemies, we're like, eh. Forgive others, right? It says forgive others, and some of us are like, this is the most literal we ever get of the Bible. We say 70 times 7, then I'm done. That's not what he was talking about. Sometimes we think it doesn't matter what goes on in our brain or heart because sin can't happen until I do something. That's not what Scripture teaches. Scripture teaches that Jesus is not only our Savior, he's our Lord. And what's that mean when we say that Jesus is our Lord? It means that we follow his commandments. We do what he says. This offends people. Right? People say, hey, you can't tell me what to do. I'm my own person. Right? They look at you and say, only, only God can judge me. I don't think you know what that means. Right? That's something that we don't want to stand in front of that. Right? God says that you, people will know that you love me right, for your love for one another. Does that mean everybody? Right? We'll try to think that out. That's okay. That's what we think, right? And, and sometimes when God says, you will show your love for me by how you follow my commands. And we're like, well, I don't really like that command. God, I love you, but I'm not going to do that. Right? Those are the hard parts. Those are the hard lessons. And Jesus understood these offenses, right? He, he understood that this offended his listeners, that they were offended at his teaching. Yet, look what Jesus did. He didn't change his teaching. He didn't say, oh, this is my fault you're all jacked up. Right? It's, not, it's not your belief that makes what I'm saying true. I am the truth. I'm the measure of that. Right? Jesus was, was not an entertainer. He didn't just preach so that people would feel good. He didn't just preach so that his audience would say, man, this guy's a great entertainer. 
right? He wasn't the showman. That wasn't his concern. His concern was that you had life. His concern was that you had truth. If it was anything else, as soon as he saw his audience offended, what would he have done? Stopped. Changed. And his audience said, hey, Rabbi, we don't feel inspired. Jesus said, no, 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 you need to have life. You need to know the truth. And as they were offended, Jesus didn't take it back. What he did was he challenged and he confronted more. Do you know that conviction, right? Do you know that conviction when you're reading scripture and Jesus pokes you in the eye? And Jesus says, hey, this is what I'm asking you to do. Now, how do you think these disciples felt, these people, as they were feeling that conviction, but Jesus is there physically looking them in the eye, pointing at them, looking, saying, I am talking directly to you. And guess what that did? Read John 6, 6, 6. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Right? Jesus teaches them this truth. He doesn't back down. He starts convicting them. And unfortunately, this is still a common practice today. When Jesus does something in our heart that we don't like, we just find it easier to walk away than to deal with our sin and follow Jesus. And church, it's important for us to do as Jesus did when we are sharing the gospel, right? It's important that we just encourage others to follow Jesus for his truth, not for material gain, not for physical gain, not for some temporal motives, not to put a notch on our belt, but that we share Jesus so that they have life. And we'll see that many of the people that are following Jesus just like these, I don't know, could be thousands, it could have been hundreds, we're not exactly sure how many of these mass exodus it would, it was. But much like then and just like today, it may be revealed that what has never been granted to him by his father to follow Jesus. That there are many people that are not followers of Jesus in the first place. But then if we narrow this down to the 12, right, if we look at Simon Peter, he gave this Wonderful statement of faith when Jesus asked him, where are you gonna go? And Peter says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Just in this little statement, Peter shows that he believed that Jesus was Lord, right? He, he believed that Jesus was the Word. Go back to John 1. He believed that Jesus was the only way Right, despite the hard truths, despite some things that maybe I don't want to believe, maybe that's too hard for me, he knew that Jesus was the only way. Right, he believed that Jesus was the Messiah, that Jesus was the Christ. And he believed that God, that Jesus was the son of the living God. And he was speaking for the disciples, and this true faith of disciples made the contrast with Judas' apostasy that much more horrible. Like we can see that there was something different between these 11 and Judas. And church, there are Judas is among the apparent followers of the Lord in our day. There are so many in our churches today as they sit, sometimes undetected, for long periods of time. And they betray the Lord and the gospel by both their words and their actions. And though many will walk away and some may even betray Jesus in our presence, we can't let that distract us. 
right? We can't be focused on them. It shouldn't change our faith or our belief in the divine nature and the divine mission of Jesus, right? We can't let that weakness, we can't let that sin distract us from who Jesus is and what Jesus did. We should remain at the table and feast on who Jesus is, Right? Those who do come to Jesus, those who feed upon him, those who believe and receive and internalize the truth of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done, they will find life. That is a promise in Scripture. Jesus offers us heavenly bread for eternal life. But we must eat it. Right? We must believe in it. We must internalize it. Right? We, we take that bread and we must put it inside of us and allow it to work. Right, this faith, this true belief that Jesus is talking about, it's not compared with tasting or admiring, but with eating. Right? Jesus says we must have him within us. We must partake of him. Right? When we're sitting at a table and we see a, a loaf of bread on the table, that doesn't satisfy our hunger. Right? We just sit there and stare at it. Right? If we know the ingredients of the bread, we are still not satisfied we take pictures of the bread and go pin it up on our refrigerator or put it in our room, that does not satisfy our spiritual need for Jesus. By, by just telling other people about Jesus does not satisfy our spiritual hunger to feast on the bread ourselves. It's selling the bread. That doesn't satisfy our hunger. Playing catch with the bread. That doesn't satisfy our hunger. Nothing will satisfy our hunger and bring us life except actually eating the bread. Except for believing the truths that Jesus is talking about, for internalizing those beliefs, from receiving those truths from Scripture, feasting on the bread of life that was sent from heaven to give life to the world through his death. That is how we are satisfied, by studying the Scriptures, by knowing Jesus, by walking with Jesus by abiding in Jesus and Jesus in us. And then, as Scripture promised, he who eats of this bread will live forever. But when we talk about eats of this bread, it is only talking about those who abide in Jesus. It's only talking about those that recognize Jesus as the Son of God. Only those that recognize Jesus' death and resurrection is those and those only who will have eternal life. So how do you respond to this hard saying? Do you, do you walk away from the table? Or do you feast on the bread that came down from heaven? And as we look at this passage for centuries now, some have taken this passage as speaking of the Christian practice of communion, the Christian practice of the Lord's Supper. Right, this is, Lord's Supper was instituted by Jesus on the night before his crucifixion. And they mistakenly think that receiving the bread and the cup at the Lord's table is essential to salvation. That this is something that we must do to be saved. And everybody who partakes of the Lord's Supper, who partakes of communion, are guaranteed salvation. That is not what this passage teaches. That is false. Right? The Lord's Supper does not save you. The Lord's Supper is something that we do in remembrance of the one who came from above and accomplished his divine mission on the cross. Right? The Lord's Supper is also a metaphor. 
This is a metaphor, and it relates us back to this teaching. It relates us back to what Jesus talked about that we must believe. It takes us back to John 3.16, that all who believe, that means that we believe in what Jesus did. Our life is dependent on it, that we have received these truths, that we have eternalized them, that our worldview is built on the fact that Jesus is the Son of God, and that Jesus was sacrificed, and that God's wrath was satisfied. And now we can be in relationship with him. And as we take these elements, that is what we remember, his death and his resurrection. And by taking these elements, eating this bread and drinking this juice, we are saying we believe. Right? We're saying we are part of this family. This joins us into a family relationship of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. In just a few minutes, we're going to take the Lord's Supper together. If you, have, if you were, did not grab a cup, just raise your hand. We'll have some deacons get them to you. And Dustin, if you can come on up with the worship team. And as we believe in the divine nature of Jesus, and as we believe in the divine mission of Jesus, eating these elements only serves as a metaphor. It's only a, a statement of our belief that we're not just playing around with Jesus, that we are all in on who Jesus is and what Jesus did on the cross. That our eternal lives, I'm not talking about our lives for the next 40, 60, 80, 90 years, I'm talking about for all of eternity is dependent upon who Jesus is and what Jesus did. And that we believe what Jesus taught. Not just the easy sayings, not just the fun ones, not just the ones that say we're great, but the hard sayings. Right, the, the sayings that Jesus says, you're all in or you're all out. There's no halfway. We believe that. And as we take these elements, I want us to remember and reflect on what we are saying. Right, when we eat this bread, it is a symbol that God is inside us. That God is abiding us. As we eat this bread, we're saying we believe. Right, and we've received this bread in this little cup. You can start working on it. They're hard to open. Right, and we have this bread and it's a metaphor for Jesus being inside. And as we eat this bread, we are saying we believe that Jesus abides in us and we abide in him. Now before we eat this bread, before we drink of the cup, I've asked Dustin to go ahead and just read a, a passage for us. And as and Dustin, as Dustin, your hair made me think Jesus, as Dustin <laughs> reads for us, you need to ask yourself, does Christ abide in me? Does Christ abide in me? Do I believe? Can you read for me? This is John fifteen three to 11 where Jesus is speaking. Already you were clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples." As the Father has loved me, 
so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full.